You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. So this week, you'll probably notice the first thing that's different is that I sound different. Dan, what happened to your audio quality? Let me tell you. This week, my computer exploded. I'm not kidding. It literally blew up. Not fire, but smoke. Um, My my motherboard, I assume, fried. (laughs) And I was in the middle of a, a, a session working with someone, and it just went, and this smoke comes out. This literally happened. Um, beautiful laptop. I've been working with it for years. And I want to tell you guys something. It was not a crisis. And you know why it wasn't a crisis? Because when we move out of lack and into kingdom, and into kingdom economy, and into a different situation, we can have provisions in place so that, as it is written, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency at all things may abound unto every good work. Well, thanks to those of you that support this ministry, we are not bootstrapped for cash, and I, seeing that the computer was not going to be lasting years and years longer, was able to invest in a new piece of equipment prior to explosion day. And I was able to also back up all my files and everything was already handled and transitions had been planned for so that when the computer actually did blow up, uh, I don't have a crisis of ability to continue to do the things that God has us doing. (laughs) Praise God for transition because I'll tell you, Bride Ministries didn't start in this position. Um, we built this from scratch, literally, from the ground up with nothing. And so, you know, I just praise God for the way that he graduates us into new seasons and provision and all the wonderful things that he promises to us. You know, the Bible says that God provides our every need out of his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, uh, here I am on my new laptop, and I'm going to be recording from this thing. But we have another problem, and that was that my audio interface equipment doesn't work with my new computer because it's old. So I had to invest in some new audio interface equipment, which meant I couldn't record. And so this week, <laughs> you have a an opportunity to listen to what we are doing at the Fireplace Church. This is a recent sermon that I gave. It's called Unveiling the Mystery of Trees. Now, this week we'll be moving into part four of this series, but uh, I said, you know, let me take part one and give you guys a little window into what you're missing, because we have many, many, many more people listening to this podcast than we do showing up to the Fireplace Church. And so... uh, this week, you'll get to enjoy this. Now, I do want to give a special shout out to all of our financial supporters because, you know, my entire testimony is actually tied to you because you guys support us. You allow us to support the healing journey of survivors. You're allowing us to build a school. You're allowing us to run the ministry, run the church, um, expand the website and the platform. Everything we do costs money, guys. And we are so grateful for your continued support. I want to encourage you because, you know, 
The Bible is very clear. He who sows abundantly will reap abundantly. And as you guys sow into us, we just believe God that, I mean, overflow, excess, and abundance comes back to you in the form of health and joy and relationships and peace. And of course, your bank account being secured and providing for you and your family and the generations after you. You know, the Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And we believe that that is something that God has for his children in the kingdom. That not only do you survive and make it through this life, and hopefully can pay for your funeral at the end of it, but, well, that you are able to leave an inheritance to your children's children, which means you amass wealth and increase. And so, you know, we just believe that for ourselves and for all of you guys and with that said, we're going to get into the sermon. So get ready for unveiling the mystery of trees. I, I, I do want to say a couple more things. We are having the Bride Tribe Retreat in a week and a half from this recording. And so well, we're so excited to meet the those of you that are going to be traveling in for that. Um, <clears throat> again, if you are like, what, what happened? There's a retreat, like a physical conference. Yeah, and we made those announcements at the Fireplace Church because it's a really it's for community building purposes, and so we are wanting to connect with those that are really connected with us, not just those that want some teaching. It's not really a teaching conference. So, but that is in a week and a half. We're very excited about that. Will there be a live stream? Will we be able to get it? No, no. It's it's going to be a closed event. So, for those of you that are there, we are going to be having a great time. Um, prayers to shake heaven and earth. I do request that you guys are so kind as to leave reviews on Amazon.com and other websites, including ours at BroadMovement.com, where you can leave reviews for that book. If our prayers have blessed your life, the lives of your loved ones, people in your community, please take an opportunity to go to find a place where my book is sold and leave a review because that will help others that are trying to figure out if this resource is for them to make that decision. It's actually strategic in helping the book get in the hands of more people when there are more reviews available. And so please, if this book, if those prayers have blessed you, leave a review. Okay, I'm done. We'll see you. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Good evening. Welcome to the Fireplace Church. I'm Dan Duvall wearing a sweater with an awesome background that none of you are going to complain about. Thank you. I, um, I, I'm really excited today. I think that we're going to be tapping into some, some pretty cool stuff. I recently stumbled on the revelation of trees not too long ago. Um, and, and I had had things floating here and there, like most of you have, and you won't even realize just how much the Bible has to say about trees until we start talking about it. But I'll tell you what, man, as I began to look at this thing, it just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I began to deal with something, you know, this is where it really began to come up. God had to start dealing with the evil sacred trees in Dallas during our morning prayers. He just brought it up one morning. He's like, God started praying against those evil sacred trees. And I'm like, evil sacred trees? <laughs> so, we're, we're now dealing with trees in, in, a, in a spiritual warfare context, and there is so, so much to say about the subject. So 
Anyway, I'm going to just go ahead and jump in, you know, with some prayer, and and then we're going to get started. And we're going to walk this out for a few weeks. This is not going to be a one-time conversation. So, Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We just give you all the glory, honor, and praise at the outset of this conversation and invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in. Lord, we thank you that you inhabit the praises of Israel, Lord God, that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in our midst. And Lord God, we praise you because in you there is no variation. There is no shadow of turning. You are faithful who promises. We praise you that you transform us by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We declare that this meeting will not be hindered or checked by any outside force. We bind, block, and disallow all attempts at parts of people going out of body to distract, to attack, or to do any other diabolical agendas in the name of Jesus and call this entire meeting covered by the blood of Jesus and sealed off by heavenly gold built around it as a matrix, Lord God, or Faraday cage in the spirit so as to thwart also, all forms of wave-based technological hacks in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that in you we live, move, we have our being. We thank you, Lord God, that we are being reprogrammed in accordance with our nature in Christ, Lord, so that we are able to believe it and step into it. And so we speak all of these things, and thank you for your presence. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Everything in the Bible has significance. And trees are found throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, the first conflict in the history of humanity occurred around two trees. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we can all agree, trees have a huge and significant role in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in an observation of human history, trees are significant. But I was reading in the book of First Kings today, and I was reading about the wisdom of Solomon in chapter 4. And one of the most interesting things about the uh, Bible and, and what it had to say about Solomon in First Kings chapter 4. It says in verse 32, check this out. <laughs> he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. <laughs> he also spoke of trees. <laughs> now, if you're going to speak 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs, why would it be important to make note of the fact that you had the wisdom to talk about trees? <laughs> really? And animals. It's what the Bible says. You, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, he spoke of the tree of Lebanon, the hyssop that springs out of the wall. So when you want to talk about wisdom, there's some kind of connection, as strange as it may seem, between wisdom and, and, and trees. You know, uh, this is chapter four of First Kings, verse thirty-two. So 
Throughout the Bible, there are many mysteries surrounding trees. And we are going to begin our study by looking at the mystery of the fig tree. Now, how many people here, by a show of exclamation points, are familiar with the fig tree in your Bible studies? Another significant tree um, that occurs in the Gospels. So, during the final week of the ministry of Jesus, prior to the crucifixion, Jesus makes a trip to a place called Bethany. So there's a triumphal entry, and all of the people receive him at that time as Messiah. They're actually praising him in the streets, like, oh, Messiah has come. You know, and that's the triumphal entry. And, and that same week, you know, several things happened leading up to the day where they all said, you know, not Messiah anymore, crucify him, kill him, and give us the murderer Barabbas. So a lot happens in that week. And one of the things that happens in that week is a trip to a place called Bethany. Bethany, in its etymology, means house of dates or house of misery. <laughs> Interesting name for a place. Uh, and, and that is the location where the following story unfolds in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 through 22. It says, then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, he returned to the city. He was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. Woe! And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, who would have thought that this widely quoted passage of Scripture dealing with mountains being cast into the sea is predated by this, you know, not all of us make that connection. Maybe some of you do. Jesus is dealing with the fig tree first, and that is his demonstration of power. Then he speaks about the mountain, and then he says, if you have faith, and turns the whole thing into a lesson of faith. But why the fig tree? Why did the fig tree have to die? Why was Jesus so peeved by the fact that this fig tree had no fruit, that he killed it with a spiritual axe, so it withered up and died on the spot. Doesn't sound like tree hugging to me. Sounds like carpentry gone wrong. Man, this was an angry carpenter. Down with the tree. Gosh, 
you know, and I'm I'm one of those, you know, investigative nuts where it's like, yeah, there's something there. There's something deep about this. And it's significant that it's a fig tree. But why is it significant? You guys ready to learn why it's significant? Hope somebody's ready. Is anybody ready? Now, this is where we begin to go a little deep and sink our ship, get a little get a little wet. There is a Hebrew word for um, fig. And it is the Hebrew word ten. Now, for some of you, which are good students, you are taking our Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth class. What I'm about to do is going to make all the sense to you in the world because you know what I'm doing. For the rest of you slackers that aren't taking that class, <clears throat> I'm just going to do a brief review <laughs> so we're not lost. The Hebrew language is a highly complex algorithm. In English, we have an alphabet. And all of the letters have no inherent meaning besides the fact that they are letters that you can use to put together and make words. And one word is defined as one thing, and another word is defined as another thing, and it's relatively arbitrary. Some of our words we get from Greek and Latin roots and things like that, but truly the letters in and of themselves have very little meaning. But in Hebrew, there's an entirely different logic. In Hebrew, every letter has a definition and a numerical value, meaning that every word is the sum total of the meaning of its letters and will have a numerical relevance associated with that word. So the entire language is a highly complex algorithm. This is, in my opinion, part of the reason why Adam was able to name all of the animals in the garden. I've postulated, and I'm not the only one, that Hebrew is the language of creation because it's the language of God and the language that God inscribed his signature into the Torah with. Hebrew. And... Adam, being a super intelligent being, would have been able to take the inherent meanings of the letters and put them together and assemble them in order to name all of the different components of creation within the parameters of the algorithm he was working with. Think about that. Not only that, but the letters themselves are the word substance. The, the substance of what makes the words. And here's another piece, and I'm, I'm not going to go on to this too long. There's a whole class on just this, just, just this one topic. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. But you find Alpha and Omega in the first chapter and first verse of the Bible as the Aleph Tav, an untranslated Hebrew word. And so the Bible says, in the beginning, God created, and then you see Aleph Tav, Shemaim, Aleph Tav, plus Avav, we're not even going to go there, 
Eretz, or earth. So through the Aleph Tav, God creates heaven and earth. And that is that the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God, and all things were created by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In other words, everything that was made was made through Jesus, the Word. And He, being the Aleph Tav, becomes the bookends on the entire Hebrew alphabet, meaning that He contains that which is the language of creation, and therefore upholds all of creation in his word. So we go on and on and on. The revelation is deep. It's profound. It's really cool. Should have been there. But we're going to pick up there for this because the word te'en is really profound when we break down the Hebrew letters that compose this word. And those Hebrew letters are tav, Aleph, Nun, and He. Tav, Aleph, Nun, and He. Now, Tav means a mark, a sign, or the cross. Aleph means ox, gentle, the first, Adonai, the leader, or what is first. Nun means to fish, to sprout, offspring, descendant, heir to the throne. And He means to behold, to show, or to reveal. All right. If we just take the letters and make a little sentence out of them, it reads something to the effect of, the cross of Adonai sprouted offspring who are heirs to the throne designated to be beheld and revealed. The cross of Adonai sprouted offspring who are heirs to the throne designated to be beheld and revealed. Now that's fig. <laughs> oh man, are we going places. Now, so Jesus, when he looks at something, what he sees is his word in everything. And the fig actually has a meaning. And it is attributed to the beholding or revealing of the children of God. Now, we begin our history lesson. It is often said of the fig tree that it is a representative of, does anybody know? Who thinks they know what the fig tree is a representative of? There it is. In the chat, Kathy Lapp nailed it. Israel. 100%. Hosea 9.10 says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. There it is, right there in the word. Israel is being associated with fig tree. Again, Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree. From Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. 
In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, God talks about how he is going to lead the people into a promised land and there's going to be fig trees for them. So the idea of being able to sit under your fig tree is like the idea of having a you know, chicken in every pot. It's, it's, it's an idea of things being taken care of, people living in uh, relative safety and peace and luxury. And that, and that mindset, the fig tree, kind of held some of these ideal situations in it. And, you know, in the days of Solomon... The people got to enjoy for a abbreviated season wealth and peace and prosperity that was a reflection of what God wanted for the nation throughout their entire history. They actually stepped into the blessing associated with the Torah for a short season. Now, the fig tree is representative of the nation of Israel. Now, what does that have to do with fig, meaning the cross of Adonai sprouted offspring who are heirs to the throne designated to be beheld and revealed? And why, oh why, is Jesus cursing the fig tree that doesn't have a physical fig on it and making it die and then teaching on faith? So here's the next step that we need to look at. How many people know that we are the commonwealth of Israel? So the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, Wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. In other words, Israel was the nation of God. It was always God's nation, and it will always be God's nation. Israel is still a nation, even now. God does not replace Israel with the church. God makes the Gentiles part of the commonwealth of Israel. But at the time that Jesus was walking in Bethany, he had not died yet. He had not ascended yet. And there were children of God in the earth that were of physical Jewish roots. And hence members of the tribes of original Israel. And they had failed to do some things. They had failed to manifest. They had failed to collaborate with God under the covenant that they had 
in order to reveal the kingdom of God into the earth. Okay, we're going to take this step by step. Now, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile are able to partake of the commonwealth of Israel, according to Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Now, in this we find that Jesus is the cultivated olive tree into which we are grafted so that we become spiritual Israel. In this, we find that the children of God are not only associated with the fig tree, but the olive tree. What are we here to talk about? Trees! <laughs> so what are we talking about? Jesus! How did that happen? Guys, we are going to go really deep with this. I'm certain I'm going to sink the ship at some point on this series. Uh, but we have to start by grounding a few things out. Now, the children of God are not only associated with the fig tree, but also with the olive tree. The Bible says, I said then, has God cast away his people? And this is in Romans chapter 11. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Now this is Paul talking. Daniel, does God hate ancient Israelites? Does he have no plan for the Jews or Israel or any of those tribes? Is he completely done with them, Ask them? They're done. They fired everything. No, actually that's not the case. We are made partakers of the commonwealth of Israel. Church does not replace Israel. But in that, God is not done with Israel. And, and Yet, there are some really finer points that we, we could go into. But moving on, God has not cast away his people. But he goes in verse 12 and says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and notice, they did fall. If their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Then in verse 16, he continues and says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. 
You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand in by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Okay. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who felt severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? All right. So you essentially here have two olive trees, a wild olive tree with branches that are Gentiles and a cultivated olive tree with branches that are Israel. And when Jesus died and resurrected and established a new covenant, all of the branches were broken off. They're broken off. So now the cultivated olive tree is simply a tree with a root, and that root is Christ. At that point, you begin to see transplanting happen, where some of the ones that are broken off are being picked up off the ground and plugged back in, and others are being pulled off of the wild olive tree and being plugged in. That is one new man in Christ Jesus. And that is the cultivated olive tree whose root supports you. So as Jesus establishes a new covenant and is the root of spiritual Israel, Jew and Gentile are all being grafted in to him. So the entire journey of Christianity is a journey into what it means to be found in Christ. The branches go into the cultivated olive tree that is him. So Jesus himself becomes a tree. And we begin to partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. You know what fatness is, alludes to? Abundance. The root is holy because the root is Christ. And that root supplies the branches with a new identity of what? Holiness. We get a new identity in Christ, Jew and Gentile. And that identity is supposed to manifest something. It's supposed to manifest something for the world to behold. Now, we started talking about the fig tree. Okay? Now we're talking about Jesus being revealed as a cultivated olive tree. What is the significance of the olive tree? If we play the same game with the word olive, but go back to the Hebrew to do it, we find that it comes from the word zayeth, which is spelled zayn yad tav. 
Zayin means a sword, an axe, weapon, or to cut. Yad is a hand closed or closing upon a deed done or a finished work. And Tav is a mark sign across. So Olive could comprise a sentence to the nature of a weapon cut a hand by which the work was finished on the cross. At the end of the day, the olive tree points to the cross of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished through his death. One new man in Christ Jesus. A spiritual Israel, the manifestation of what it means to be brought near into the commonwealth of Israel through the blood of Jesus. But the fig tree speaks to the agenda for the sons of God to be revealed. And this is the thing. We don't know what it means to be revealed. We do know what it means to produce religion. We do know what it means to walk out the faith of our fathers and the rituals and different uh, practices they got from their fathers, and traditions and all these good things. But, but we don't know what it means to be revealed. See, Israel didn't know what it meant to be revealed. They thought that by arguing doctrine, by going through lengthy diatribes on genealogies, they were achieving the epitome of religious practice. They were rebuked for stuff like this. Um, we are on assignment to be revealed. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Because it was a reminder that the nation of Israel, as the children of God, had failed for a thousand plus years to be revealed. They didn't do it. But they had a window. They had a window where every man sat under his own fig tree. And Israel rose to the apex of cultural influence in the whole earth. Operating out of a revealing of the promises associated with Torah, associated with Deuteronomy 28. They stepped into that. And for a minute they began to be revealed and then what? It all fell apart. And Jesus saw that fig tree and he saw the cross of Adonai sprouted offspring who are heirs to the throne designated to be beheld and revealed and said, there's no fruit. The figs are not there. I curse you now die. So, this is what some of you don't know. The nation of Israel 
had access to the kingdom of God before Jesus was born. They had access to the kingdom of God, the realm in which God is king, his actual domain, from the outset of their covenant with Jehovah, Yahweh God. So this is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 21. This is a repeat for those of you that have taken my kingdom class. This is going to be a lot easier for you to digest. For everyone else, this is going to be like a punch to the gut. Here another parable. Matthew 21, 33 through 43. I know this is a lot of scripture, but there's only one way to go through this. Um, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and is, is marvelous in our eyes? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation producing the fruits thereof. Now, some people think that Jesus brought the kingdom when he resurrected from the grave to give it to us. Wrong. Some people think that Jesus is returning to establish his kingdom for the first time in earth history. Wrong. Both perspectives are absolutely wrong because if they were right, and this is the majority of Christianity that believes this, Jesus would have no means for saying, I will take the kingdom from you and give it to a nation producing the fruits thereof. How can he take what was never given? It was given. It was given. If Jesus was taking the kingdom away from the chief priests and elders, it must have existed before he came to earth as a man. The idea that Jesus does not manifest his kingdom on earth until he comes back in a second coming is plainly stated unbiblical. It's not right. And so many Christians are stuck in this paradigm that says, I'm going to survive until I die, and when Jesus comes back, he'll bring his kingdom. Maybe, I'll, you know, this, this, it's so 
skewed and flawed. Israel, before Jesus, had access to the kingdom, and we have a better way to access it in Christ. The same kingdom that put Israel at the apex of global cultural influence is given to us with better access. We don't know what it means to be revealed. This passage, the parable of the uh, vine dresser, clearly states that not only does the kingdom of God exist now, but it existed before Jesus came. God is the landowner. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Oh, Satan owns the world. No, he doesn't. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, 1. And he leased the land to the children of men. Psalm 115, 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Adam was man. The children of man were Adam's kids. And the children of men were the children of Adam's children in their generations. After Adam sinned, the Bible says in Psalm 115, 16, the earth he has given to the children of men. So in this parable, it is clear that the landowner has leased the land to vine dressers. He says, work it. So the servants of the landowner that he sent are like the prophets of God that were beaten and stoned and persecuted. Prophets like Jeremiah. They were not received. Eventually, Jesus came. And he was sent after some of the other servants were killed. And what did he do? He transferred a kingdom which already existed because he was rejected and murdered by those that did not bear the fruit of it. We need to think about what happened differently if we're ever going to get it. We are stuck in an impaled state in response to our identity in Christ because we don't understand what Jesus actually did. He transferred the kingdom from the genetic nation of Israel, or Israel after the flesh, into the spiritual nation of Israel, or Israel after the spirit, comprised of both Jew and Gentile, grafted into the cultivated olive tree. In other words, like I said, he took that tree, broke all the branches off, and grafted them out. And then he started grafting back in the Jews that believed. And started grafting in the Gentiles that believed. And he has a new nation that is still called Israel. So 1 Peter 2, 6-10 through 10, explains this parable in very clear language. Um, not sure if you knew that, uh, but Peter actually takes the time to break this parable down. 
He says in chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, what did Jesus quote about himself when he was speaking this parable? He said, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? He's speaking of himself, right? So now Peter's talking about the same thing. He's actually talking about this parable. He's talking about Israel. And he's saying, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In other words, they were disobedient. They failed to manifest. And so what they had was taken from them as a genetic nation and given to a new nation, defined as a chosen generation, defined as a priesthood, defined as the commonwealth of Israel, defined as one new man in Christ Jesus. A group of people that were not a people, but now in Christ are a people. So, we are spiritual Israel in Christ. And what Israel did not accomplish by the time of the first advent of Christ is designed to be accomplished by us prior to the second advent of Christ. All right. Now, some of us have been trained to be Christian slackers. You know who you are. If God wants it done, he'll do it. As for me and my house, we will sit in the pew. All right. <laughs> Your days of slacking are over. <laughs> that is the problem. That is the same thing that ancient Israel did. They were never coming to the place of being beheld and revealed as the children of God. They lasted a few years at the apex of civilization. That's it. Guess what? They've done better than us.
Did you know that there are two seasons during which figs sprout on a fig tree? Spring and fall. Spring and fall. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Here's what the Bible says about what Jesus did. It says in Matthew 23, 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You're a roadblock. You're a roadblock, Pharisees and scribes. There is a realm that was opened up to this nation and you built the door on top of it and you shut them down. And our pastors did the same thing. They did the same thing because they told you that Jesus is coming back to bring his kingdom at his return. And if you were lucky, they told you that he died and brought his kingdom here at that time. They did not tell you that we are trading in through Christ to a kingdom that has been working to influence this planet from the beginning. The Pharisees and scribes could only shut up the kingdom of heaven with their nonsense because the nation was given access to it. How? Through covenant. Because covenant opens up for exchange between kingdoms. Matthew 21, verse 43 says, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bearing forth the fruits thereof. Matthew 21, 43. And I already told you, I explained that. This is how it works. He took it from genetic Israel formed spiritual Israel in himself and grafted Jew and Gentile into it, that is the new nation that receives the kingdom. Now, 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you, spiritual Israel, the corporate church, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation of priests, of the order of Melchizedek, of which Jesus has become the high priest. You know what the order of Melchizedek was here to do? Manifest heaven to earth. A peculiar people that should shew forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then the Bible says, the Bible says in Luke 17, 21, nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, it is there. For the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts, and among you, or surrounding you. In Christ, the realm of God's kingdom is opened up to us because of the new covenant. It is a better covenant based upon better promises. And with a lesser covenant based upon lesser promises, God could bring a genetic nation to the apex of world influence. What do you think he could do with us when we begin to be held, be beheld as the children of God produced through the cross? The figs. 
The Bible says in Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You're a son. You're a daughter. The Bible says in Romans 8.17, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We're not just children, red-headed stepchildren that get nothing. Excuse the pun if you have red hair. No. That's not it. We are fully embraced as members of the family of God and called heirs. Heirs, not just children, heirs. What did I tell you about the figs? The cross of Adonai sprouted offspring who are heirs to the throne designated to be beheld and revealed. Your problem is that you didn't know you were designed to manifest as an heir to the throne, not of earth, but of heaven. While you're in the earth. Galatians 3.26 says you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4.6 says and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Romans 8.29 says, Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Brethren. I told you figs bear fruit twice a year. In the spring and in the fall. This was the spring. Jesus cursed the fig tree that bore no fruit, and it died. And we must understand that trees are repeatedly associated with kingdoms. They represent governments, and they represent realms. That's very important, because in a few weeks when I tell you about evil sacred trees and how the powers of darkness store up your destiny in evil trees that have been dedicated to your bloodline, that's going to make a lot more sense. Trees are repeatedly associated with kingdoms. They represent governments and realms. At his first coming, Israel was barren. They were not bearing the fruits of the kingdom. And this is why Jesus said, it would be taken away from them and given to a nation producing the fruits thereof. In the spring, there are three feasts. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Concerning the feasts of the Lord, some have erroneously concluded that the seven feasts are the feasts of Israel. They're not. They are not attributed to the law or the book of the law. 
And these same people sometimes argue that the feasts have no place or relevance to the present-day church. Unfortunate. It, an understanding of these feasts is profoundly relevant. The fact of the matter is that they are not the feasts of Israel, but the feasts of Yahweh, Jehovah. They are replications of heavenly things. Leviticus 23, 1 through 2 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, Concerning the feast of Yahweh, the feast of Jehovah, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. In other words, God was saying, I celebrate the same feasts in my realm. Now, the 23rd chapter of Leviticus describes the feasts in great detail. And the spring feasts are the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. <clears throat> Is anybody ready to quit? I know we can come back next week. It's already uh, 8 o'clock. I was thinking we might end early. Nobody likes that. Saw some faces get a little... Little upset. Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna finish this thought. <laughs> there are three feasts in the spring. Passover occurred on the fourteenth day of the month of Nisan. This feast began when God was delivering His people from Egypt on the night of the last plague the plague of the firstborn children, they were to slay a spotless lamb and spirit's blood on the doorpost. When the angel of death saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass by and not kill the firstborn. In like fashion, Jesus was offered up as a spotless sacrifice for our sins so that through his shed blood, we could be granted forgiveness of sin, access to the commonwealth of Israel. He is described as the lamb that was slain in Revelation 5.6. In other words, there were figs that were supposed to be on a fig tree in the spring at the first advent of Jesus Christ, and they were not there, representing the state of genetic Israel that had failed to manifest to the world the kingdom of God. The Feast of Unleavened Bread occurs on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. It's a seven-day period during which the Israelites were to eat only unleavened bread. Leavening is often associated with sin and false doctrine. God sent Jesus to destroy the power of sin, and Jesus was a sinless sacrifice for us. In his crucifixion, his body was broken for us, and just as the Jews would break the unleavened bread for this feast, Jesus was broken as the ultimate unleavened or sinless bread. During the Lord's Supper, he made it clear that the bread represented his body. Matthew 26, 26. And he spent the first days of the feast in the grave, thus fulfilling it. So, Passover was fulfilled by Jesus at his crucifixion. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was fulfilled by Jesus during his burial. And then there's the Feast of Fruits. Fruits occurs on the 16th day of the month of Nisan. 
Just like the farmers would receive the first fruits of their harvest, Jesus became the first fruit of those who would take part in the resurrection. And this is clear in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Feast of first fruits was fulfilled by Jesus at his resurrection. Right before he fulfilled these feasts, he examined the fig tree. And it was found to be without fruit. So he cursed it and died. But I'm here to tell you that there's a round two. There's a second examination of the fig tree that's coming. Because there's a closing out of the age. And the second time of year that the fig tree produces fruit is in the fall. What happens in the fall? I'll tell you. After the Feast of Pentecost, which is in the month of Sivan, closer to summer, you have the Feast of Trumpets. It occurs on the first day of the month of Tishri. It occurs over a two-day or 48-hour period during which no man knows the day or the hour. The day and hour are distinguished by the appearing of the new moon, which is 29 and a half days after the last one, meaning it might occur on the 29th or 30th day of that month. This is what Jesus referred to when he said of his coming that no man will know the day or the hour. It was a reference to this feast. It's a Hebrew idiom that reveals the parameters of our knowledge on his return, not the unscriptural notion of imminence in any time return of Jesus. Guess what this is? It's called unfulfilled. Has not happened yet. Then there's the Day of Atonement. It occurs on the 10th day of the month of Chishri. This feast is known by the name Yom Kippur. It is a day for atonement and repentance. It is the holiest day in the year in Judaism. Did you know that there was only one day of atonement in the whole year in the Judaistic practice of religion? We've been trained in Christianity to be sin conscious 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They were conscious one day a year, and we gained a better covenant based on better promises. I'm telling you, condemnation thinking is of the devil. Godly conviction leads to repentance, yes. It leads to a Christ-centered life, yes, but it doesn't center us on an examination of our sin day in and day out. It's the wrong focus point. You need to get free of that. Just lay it down. Don't look at your sin. Look at Jesus. They had one day a year. The Feast of Tabernacles is the Seventh and final feast. It occurs on the 15th day of the month of Tishri. It was known as Sukkot. It's a seven-day feast 
Although it was celebrated for eight days during the diaspora, the word Sukkot references the dwelling places or coverings that the Hebrews used during their 40 years in the wilderness. According to the prophet Zechariah, this feast will continue to be celebrated during the millennial reign of Christ annually. Both the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles are unfulfilled. So beginning at the Feast of Trumpets, there is an agenda for Jesus to fulfill those three feasts. And it's coming at the end of the age. And there's a company of people that are going to be examined at the end of the age. What is God looking for? He's looking for the figs. The cross of Adonai sprouted offspring who are heirs to the throne designated to be beheld and revealed. That's his agenda for you right now. He wants you to be revealed to creation. And when we look at the shadow, which positioned genetic Israel at the apex of cultural influence in the world. What does that mean for us? I have so much more to say on the subject of trees. Oh my gosh. I have so much more to tell you about on the subject of trees. We covered one tree. We got we covered two. We covered the olive tree and the fig tree. <laughs> there are a lot of trees. I want everyone that's listening to me to understand that God's agenda for you is bigger than you think. You don't have the capacity to imagine what God has dreamed up regarding your life. And there's only one way to connect to the imaginations of God, and that's through the mind of Christ. You have to allow Jesus to give you an entirely new framework to think through your destiny. You've been given incomplete information. And you have been preached into a position of powerlessness. 
by well-meaning people who repeated the same crimes that the scribes and Pharisees committed against the nation of Israel, locking the door to the gate of heaven. By locking people up in their belief systems. I'm going to tell you, before the time of the end, it's not a one-sided story. There is a company of people that are going to change the way things work in this world. I promise you. There's going to be a company of people that are going to give the kingdom of darkness and all of their technologies and capacity and everything that they have to offer the run of their lifetime. Systems are going to be redesigned from the bottom up. I'm going to tell you right now, this Rothschild banking system does not make it to the end. There are new systems of finance and economics coming to this planet. And wisdom is going to work with those that partner with heaven to build it. There are going to be things that are built into this world, guys, that recharacterize the way it plays out. And it's not coming completely from the Illuminati, I promise you. There is a company of people that are going to be beheld as the offspring produced as heirs to the throne of God walking the earth. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you that you open up our hearts to the realm of possibility. Your thinking, the reality of your kingdom. And Lord God, some of us have come from very difficult pasts, very difficult journeys. And the heights of all that is available in Christ may seem so far out of reach. But Lord, that's why you have given us grace. That's why we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. That's why all of the promises of God are yes in him and amen in him to the glory of God through us. And I thank you that mindsets that hinder are being shattered, broken, and cast down. I thank you that spirits are being awakened. Lord God, I thank you that scrolls are being delivered. 
Lord God, I thank you. Your word says, who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have been given the mind of Christ. Hmm. So I bless every person here. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com.